Well, welcome to the Nice to Meet You podcast, guys. I'm your host, Kelly Craybill, and I'm so excited to have conversations with you that need to be shared more. Today on the show is my friend, Daniel Dunnevin. I've known him since I was in high school. I went to youth group with him and his wife 20 something years ago, and we went to church for years and we've been friends ever since. He's a pastor and we talk about his transition in life from a youth pastor to an interim pastor. And we get into the topic of calling and purpose because isn't that what we all wanna know is what is God calling us to and what is our purpose? Here's my conversation with my friend, Daniel Donovan. When I've been over, over the years, you've always been reading really interesting books and novels and history books and Christianity books. You've always like had like a plethora of variety of books. Are there any good books that you're reading right now? Yeah. So I just finished one yesterday called With the Old Breed. Uh, and so I don't remember the name of the author at the yeah. moment. But so, yeah, just yesterday I finished uh, With the Old Breed. And it's a World War II book, autobiography, a uh, guy who uh, lived through the um, Japan side of, of World War II. And it was, it was really, really well written and really good and also really brutal. It was difficult at times to, to read, but my grandfather on my dad's side, uh, he went through, he was in Japan while my grandfather on my mom's side was uh, in Germany and I didn't know much about the Japan side of it. So I was interested in that, but so yeah, I just finished that yesterday. I'm reading Huckleberry Finn uh, for like the fourth time because I am just really in the mood for a good Southern story. And it's one of my all time favorites. And I'm also reading a book called the life and the opinions of the Tomcat Murr. And that is uh, a really odd book. It was written in the 1800s. And it's written from the perspective of a cat that is educated and learned how to talk and write. But it's also interesting because the cat is writing the book on the back of pages of another book. And then the editor accidentally compiled them all together. And so you have the book is like broken up between the cat's story and another story. It's really fascinating and really funny and really good. I'll be honest with you, it's feeling a little bit like a, a chore at the moment because the breaking up of the story, I kind of get, I kind of lose interest in it. Anyway, it's good. It's fascinating. So that's what I'm reading. How do you find books like that? Like, I've never heard of a book like that. <laughs> so that, that one was, that one was uh, recommended by a friend of mine uh, who worked kind of in a, a book club together. Oh, okay. So we find the interesting books and read them together and then discuss them. Yeah, discuss them. And yeah, so, but I, uh, to your point earlier, I do like mixing up genres and reading a lot of different things. Uh, I have found uh, story has really helped me in understanding life and in understanding it, being able to communicate actually and being able to, to teach or explain things just being able to understand the basic plot lines the elements of story um, whether it's a true story or whether it's fiction it's just really uh, helped me out in being able to communicate so I try to read a lot of different things yeah I've been reading a ton since I've been in school I've been able to organize my thoughts and my writings a lot better than before now we're gonna because we're talking about the topic of calling and purpose today. yeah have you read any books that really inspired you on those topics? Yeah, so there there have been a few that 
you know, have stood out to me that, that really helped me just navigating um, my own calling and purpose. Uh, Andy Stanley has a book called Visioneering that I, I highly recommend um, for anyone uh, trying to just cast vision for their own lives. Right. Uh, I, so this might sound weird, but I read a book called The Seven Basic Plots, and it's like it's like a phone book. It's an enormous volume that breaks down plots in books, but that has helped me in understanding um, my, or seeing my life as a story. And also Donald Miller's Donald Miller has a book uh, um, called a million miles in a thousand years. That's also about your life as a story. And actually that's where I got the idea for reading seven basic plots. Basically big idea is that there's only seven plots in the universe that every, every author, every, uh, movie that you've ever seen, they are all following these seven basic plots if it's a good story. So you can tell if it's a bad story because it, it breaks away from some of these basic plots. Um, you know, like the rags to riches story or overcoming the monster is another one of them or rebirth is another plot line. But what I think is fascinating is that I found that all of these basic plots you see within the story of Christianity and you see just in life. And I think the reason why we can't help but write these kind of stories is because it's the story that we're a part of. So we don't know anything else. Like we are a part of a story where we're overcoming the monster, where we're fighting against evil. And we're a part of a, you know, this rags to riches kind of story where, I mean, that's the kingdom of God, basically. Right. Um, you know, the story of rebirth and uh, even the tragedy and the comedy, they're all part of our storyline so when i when i learned about story um it helped me see movies in a different light books in a different light but then my life and my calling and purpose and finding like what's the plot line for my life and am i living a good story and does this fit in with the kind of story that god is telling and that he wants to tell um, with my life and who he's created me to be so uh, i i mean i didn't read a specific book that that uh, explained all of this for me it was a, a few of them I kind of pieced together that has helped shape my worldview. And along those lines, also Donald Miller has a book called Story Brand, where he he kind of spells out um, the like overarching story is basically there's a main character who wants something, then they have a problem, and then they meet a guide, and the guide gives them a plan, calls them to action that helps them overcome you know, disaster and end in success. And that's like, you know, almost every movie you've ever watched. Right. And he, he tries to get you to see yourself as not the, not, not the hero always, but as the, the guy in the story. So the, the Yoda or the uh, Gandalf or the Dumbledore in someone else's story. And um, that is, that has helped me also looking at what's my purpose and what's my calling and how wherever I live, wherever I'm positioned and the relationships that I have and however God's uniquely gifted me, you know, how can I be the guide in someone else's story and um, help them you know, overcome and end in success and avoid disaster. So, yeah, yeah so that, that has helped kind of shape my, my worldview and my calling. Can you talk a little bit about your history of your calling and what you've done over the years and what you're doing currently? When I was 16 is when I, I first felt that like God was calling me into ministry. And you know, it's hard to explain 
what that was or what that was like. It's not like I heard an audible voice. I guess there was just a stirring inside of me and I felt like I was meant to, to serve and to help people and to love people and to somehow, uh, that that was going to be my vocation. And I didn't know at the time what that meant or what that would look like. I, I feel like, I feel like that was like this big puzzle. And I saw, I saw the big picture of it, which was just ministry. And then God kind of just quickly dismantled it and gave me one piece that I had to live out. And I feel like the rest of my life has been me living in a puzzle piece. Not sure, you know, what, the, what or when the next piece will come to me. But at first I thought it was going to, I was going to be a missionary. And we, Kristen and I, um, we got married early in like 19 and 20 and we moved overseas and lived in Syria for five months. And we thought that was it. We were going to live there and be missionaries. And then, while like that was my puzzle piece I was living in. And then while I was there, I felt this stirring for youth ministry. And I felt like God clearly called me to work with youth and to work with youth in America. And so we moved back home. I started going to school, started serving as a youth uh, leader at the time. And, and then several years later, I graduated and door opened up for, for me to serve in youth ministry in my home church. And, was there for the next 15 years. And that, and that, that to me was my calling. Like I never felt like that was a stepping stone to anything else. I felt like that was it. And I had no idea if anything was after that or if what would be after that. I just, I felt like that was what God asked me to do. And so I just wanted to do it faithfully. And, and again, I can't, it, I can't really explain other than a stirring inside of me and felt like, this still small voice telling me youth ministry. But then a couple years ago, I started to feel like God was staring in me again. And I, I feel like I just, in the last couple of years, kind of relived my, you know, my later high school years of that, yeah. that time where, where you're like, God, what do you want me to do? Or what, what am I going to be when I grow up? Those questions. And right. I felt like I re I re-entered a season of that because i I felt like I was winding down in youth ministry and that was, that was painful and hard because I didn't, I hadn't lost any love for youth ministry. I didn't feel burned out. I wasn't like wanting to be done. I felt this just ache inside of me that there's, there's something else that he's asking me to do, but I didn't know what it was. And I felt that for almost five years, actually. Okay. Um, I didn't know that long. Yeah. And it, I knew that I had about five years left. I didn't know what was going to be after that. And then it felt it intensely for the last two years of youth ministry. Uh, and really didn't know what was next until like six months before. Yeah. I felt this, I felt this clarity of, um, you know, it's going to be a lead pastor role somewhere, somehow, but I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that would look like. Um, that was kind of just a little bit more that I, I felt, and then church planting is what we're, that's what my current role is, is I'm a, a church planter. Well, I'm currently an interim pastor as I'm church planting. Uh, but that came out of, we, you know, we stepped out, we left our home church without knowing what, what we were going to do. So we didn't, I didn't have like a job lined up. I didn't, I didn't know where we were going to go, what we were going to do. We just really stepped out in faith and tried to just be obedient to uh, what God was asking us to do. 
And that was really, really hard and really terrifying. I think a lot of times we talk about um, you know, stepping out in faith. And a lot of people told me this at the time. Oh, this is so exciting. Yeah. And no, no one knows how it's terrifying so scary. it is until, until you're the one stepping out and there's no rope. You right. Don't, you know, you don't like you really feel like it's blind trust yeah. and you could die. And that's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, you know, like we've got a house and we've got kids and we've got bills and right. to, to step out uh, without knowing what you're going to do is, is really scary. But we did. And I had a moment during that time, about two weeks worth of, of me just praying and seeking God and trying to figure things out. And one day I was hiking and I decided to just ask myself the question that I would have asked someone like me if they were sitting across from me telling this story and saying, you know, I don't know what to do with myself and what's, you know, what's God asking me to do. And so I just asked myself, Daniel, what would you do if someone said, I'm going to pay you to do it? Like, you don't have to worry about, I'm going to finance it. Like you just go, you go do it. Don't, don't worry about paying bills. Don't worry about where the money's going to come from. What would you do if someone said they'll pay you to do it? And without hesitating, uh, the thought popped into my head, why well, I would plant a church. And I would plant a church in, in my hometown where I live. And there's so many people that don't know Jesus. And I would start something new and start something from scratch. And then I, I, I like started to have this fantastic daydream about it. Like I saw it all unfolding in front of me. Yeah. And then I quickly stopped it and thought, no, no, I would ask someone to pay me to learn about church planting for like, a year or two because I don't know the first thing about how to do that. And that seems also terrifying. Like that seems daunting and really difficult. And I don't know where to even begin, but if someone would say, Daniel, I'm going to pay you for like two years to just go study it out and learn and get equipped and then pay you to start it, that would be like the dream. So right about then I dismissed it as total, totally ridiculous. Like, complete pipe dream absurd that doesn't exist who would ever do that and then later that day i had a conversation with a buddy of mine and i i ended up telling him about that and he said well have you ever heard of church a church planting residency i said no what is that and so it's exactly what you used to describe where people would pay you well you have to fundraise you know half of your income but people will pay you to learn about church planting and grow and be equipped in it before they launch you to plant a church. And I said, oh, I didn't know anything like that existed. And right then the head of church planting from River Tree walked in. I'd never met him before. And I got introduced to him and he said, have you ever thought about planting a church? I said, yeah, like this morning, <laughs> I feel like I never before that, but this morning. And, uh, he said, well, I'd love to sit down and talk with you about it. And, here we are. I'm a church planting resident learning about church planting as we get ready to plant a church in, in my hometown. So it's it's just amazing the journey that God takes you on. When you met the pastor from River Tree, were you in like a coffee shop or where were you at? I was I was down at the One Center in Canton. Oh, okay. um, it's a it's yeah, it's a hub for leadership development and I was meeting with another, my friend, my other friend who's uh, he's a pastor at River Tree and we were just talking uh, he's been kind of helping me or he was helping me through this season of transition. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, other pastor walked in and 
I ended up going through lots of interviews with them. And by uh, about two months later, I was I was brought in as as a church planting resident, and now I'm I'm serving as an interim pastor there, and also as a church planting resident. So oh, okay. So let's go back to when you were in youth ministry. I was a youth leader, you know that, with when yep. you were the pa- youth pastor. When I entered into being a youth leader, you were a youth leader. You weren't the youth pastor yet. So tell me a little bit about that transition of the waiting time and what that looked like for you. Yeah, so it didn't it didn't actually feel like a waiting time because I was in I was in school. So I, okay. I that entire time that I was a youth leader, I was in a school for ministry and it went for four years and I graduated and was hired in uh, at the exact same month. So, and I, nothing, I couldn't have planned that. I didn't, you know, I didn't ask for that to happen that way. That's literally just how it worked out. So the, the youth pastor who was there left right as I was graduating and he recommended me for that job. So when I, when I was studying to be a youth pastor, I didn't expect it to be at my home church. I didn't foresee that working out that way. Just, just did. Yeah. I didn't know that. I just, I thought there was a, I didn't realize it happened right at that time when you graduated college or the, the ministry school. It's kind of cool how God does things like that. Yeah, it, yeah. it is really cool. Yeah. And, and those are the things that I, even in the season I'm in now where it's like, man, if you could know that this is what God's going to do, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be worried, but then right. it also wouldn't be faith. Right. It wouldn't be trust, but that's where it's good when you can look back and see how God opens doors and how he leads and guides you, guides you every step of the way. You know, the next time where he's asking you to step out, it shouldn't be as scary because you've seen how he provided and all the other times. Right. Would you say that walking into your calling is a linear process? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I see it more as a true adventure of, like climbing in the mountains with lots of obstacles and up and down climbs and terrifying moments. But all of those things make you into the person that you need to be to fulfill your calling. If it was just, you know, a straight line, linear, step-by-step process, I don't think we would be prepared to do the things we're actually being asked to do. Yeah. What have you learned during the transition? in the new seasons that have come out, come about in your life? Well, I've learned a lot about myself and you know, it, it's been really, really hard moments of, of you know, real pain through it. And I've learned a lot through that, you know, God has brought things to the surface of where he just wants to refine me and remove stuff. And like, kind of like I said, it, those obstacles that make you who you need to be, I think a lot of, a lot of this transition has been preparation. Also just learning more about who I am and who God has made me to be. It's amazing how we cannot know ourselves, how we can, we right. can be blind to both, both our weaknesses and our strengths. Like we can literally not see who we are or what it's like to sit across the table from us. Like what do other people experience yeah. when they're having conversations with us? And we we're so close to ourselves and yet we don't, we don't see it and we don't know it. And, I've learned a lot about myself and 
Frederick Buechner has a quote about purpose and calling where he says that the place God is calling you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's great need meet. And so I've been looking at what is my deep gladness? Like what has God gifted me in that the things that make me truly come alive that I love to do and what are the world's great needs and where can those things intersect and that that could be exactly what God is calling me. And so learning about myself, both my strengths and my weaknesses and what makes me come alive and how God has uniquely created me and then looking at the world around me and the needs that are there and seeing what I could do to just be, be myself. How can I just be myself and be who God has created me to be and that be my vocation? That's something that I've really been leaning into and learning during this time and just as he's growing me. And, and of course, trust him like right. crazy. Yeah. Anytime you step out, it's going to be, you, know, you, you you're walking by faith for real and you have to trust that he's leading you for real. What does that look like practically? Like, you know, our day to day living in just life, what does that look like to trust God? Like, especially with risky things and just not knowing where the next day is going to be. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that we have to discipline ourselves to have time with him on a daily basis where we are intentionally trusting him by like in our prayers and in, in the struggle of it. The, the, it's easy for me to be up and down based on how scary the situation is or for me to be losing sleep at night because things are changing so rapidly and like I feel upside down and I'm, I'm a creature of habit and nothing is routine anymore. And, and if I don't have a daily routine of, you know, taking a walk and praying and being centered in scripture, uh, cause I typically that's my routine is taking a walk and praying and yeah. like reading a Psalm and praying the Psalm. If I don't have that, I'll easily get lost in, in the, the fear and the anxiety and the stress of change. You mentioned before when you were, youth pastor, you didn't really get burned out. Have you experienced being burned out in ministry? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I will say I was not burned out at the end. I burned out like a 100 times before that. Oh, okay. But so it was about seven years in when I really felt myself crashing and burning hardcore. Like I I'd had ups and downs and moments of, you know, where I was just struggling and feeling like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, but it's amazing how, how long you can go off of adrenaline. Yeah. And I felt like I went for years of youth ministry, just running off of my, you know, 20 something, you know, year old adrenaline, but I did not have healthy habits. I, I prayed regularly, but I didn't, I didn't have days of rest. I didn't have Sabbath. Um, I, I wasn't really structured and, um, it took me about seven years to figure that out. And then uh, I, I didn't know that I was an introvert until like three years ago. My whole life, I thought that I was an extrovert. And you know, the big difference between introvert and extrovert is what refuels you. Right. And so here I, I'm operating off of like, because I'm outgoing. I love people. I love yeah. talking to people. I thought introverts just stayed inside all day and you know, played video games. That was my misconception yeah. of what an introvert yeah. was. And didn't know that I deeply require alone time in yeah. order to recharge. And so, yeah, I was burning out left and right until I figured that out. And now I'm intentional about keep a Sabbath like God asked you to weekly. And I 
make sure I schedule alone time in for myself. Like I said, I love people, but people, they drain me. And if I don't have time to retreat and be alone, um, I'm not going to have anything to give to anybody. Yeah, I've been learning recently. Well, I've always known that I'm an introvert, but I have noticed the last probably six months, it may be because I've been in college full time the last six months and my life has been upside down and crazy. But I've noticed that physically I can feel myself recharge when I'm by myself and I take time to rest. Like yeah. there's, there's a difference than just being around people as opposed to being by yourself and recharging. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how you spend your Sabbath and how you take that time to fully rest? Yeah. So a number of years ago, I read a book by Eugene Peterson on, on rest and called it like the unbusy pastor. And usually they go on and on about how busy they are because it's a part of our culture is to be busy and feel like we're important if we're busy. And, and he just talked about how damaging that is. And so he described Sabbath as a mixture of praying and playing was his definition. And it's like we're joining God in, in his rest. So God worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested and he enjoyed the fruit of his labor, all that he did, all that he created. And so we join God in in that when we rest. And you know, I I don't Sabbath on Sunday or Saturday because those my schedule is that's it doesn't allow me to do that. So Monday right. is my Sabbath day. You know, Sunday is a work day for me because I'm serving at church and preaching and all that. And so I take Mondays and I get alone and I I have a mixture of praying and playing. So sometimes sometimes I'll go uh, drive and find a really good hiking trail and I'll spend a few hours just hiking in the woods, listening to music. I try to immerse myself in beauty. And I will spend that time praying and enjoying God, but not working. Uh, and for me, it's important to, I have to remind myself of that because most of my work is in my head. So I'm creating a lot. Everything's like a sermon illustration or a metaphor. And, and I can find myself working all the time just in my mind. And so I have to be intentional about I'm, I'm here just to be and not to do anything. And so I will, I will hike. I'll pray. I'll listen to music. Sometimes I will draw um, or paint because that's like life-giving therapeutic for me as a creative or, well, or I'll go work out. Um, there are things that, you know, that'd be the playing side where there are things that are active that make me feel alive. And then in the evenings, you know, I come back from whatever I did that was restful for me that day. Um, in the evenings, come home and just try to be really intentional about um, enjoying my family and uh, playing with my kids. And to me, all of it should be centered around that, enjoying God and enjoying what God has given us. And that's my day of rest. And I will feel like a million bucks after that and ready for another week to carry on and to go hard. So switching a little bit to your current position now as an interim pastor, how have you navigated being an interim pastor at a new church and getting to know people and connected with people and built community? Yeah, so it's been it's been challenging. I'm I came in as an interim pastor, um, you know, on the heels of some trauma. So the church was really hurting. Yeah, um, really going through a traumatic situation, and so I I felt right away that 
God was asking me to just put palms against wounds and be a shepherd and be consistent and bring stability. And I think the worst thing that that people can do, you know, in in that kind of interim role when people are hurting is to try to change things up and try to do something new, but to just be and be consistent and and love people well and know that it's it's a, a season of hurting. So that that was my um, my goal, and and then we kind of entered into another season of trauma because we we had a pandemic. Yeah, right. Now, like, <laughs> right. I, we were like a, I was like a month into interim pastor when you know pandemic hit. And, yeah. And so that that's been extra difficult because now there's there's very real isolation that's happening, and right. I, I can't you know go visit people in their homes. And I, I can't uh, pastor them the way that I I would have wanted to, but we've we've tried really hard as a as a church to to make sure that we're calling people regularly that everybody in the church is getting a, a, a personal contact with one of the leaders and that we're trying to provide pastoral care that way through just phone calls and you know and then I had to go to video preaching and right uh, zoom calls every day and so it's been it's been a real challenge to navigate this interim season but uh, you know I feel like there's been a lot of God's grace and his strength through all of it. But uh, yeah, no, no, nothing about this has been ideal or yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. But, but again, I think that it's all preparing me for the church that he's going to have me, me plant and, uh, you know, navigate a lot of really, really difficult, unforeseen things leading up to this. Right. Yeah. Just a little side note about the pandemic. So, you know, I started back to college this January after like 13 years of being out of school. And I felt like eight months previous is when God showed me that the chapter of my life at my job was going to be closing and coming to an end. And then it was it was multiple months of researching and kind of figuring out what his plan was for me. And then and then I decided that I wanted to go back to school in order to do really the purpose that I feel like he's called me to for years. I need a different degree. And planned all that, went back to school. Two months later, COVID-19 hit, and here I am at home. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) well, that is a new season that, you know, we did not plan for. Yeah. It's it's amazing because you you do get it in your mind that, oh, this is the plan. And this is what I'm going to do. And then God completely flips things upside down and you have to just roll with it. And yeah, but I think in the midst of that, you you know, all of us, we can see uh, little gifts there, little moments of grace and lessons, how he's he's using this season. Right. Yeah, for sure. How do you feel like you've faced unexpected seasons that have happened or in this current situation or things that aren't planned? It's been really hard. Like I, I think I mentioned, I thrive in stability and uh, consistency. I'm yeah. A- very much a creature of habit. I'm structured. I'm a planner. Uh, so nothing about this season has been conducive to what I like <laughs> in yeah. life. So like I didn't ask for this interim season. It just happened. It was like one day everything changed. All my plans out the window. And then I'm starting to get a grip on that. And then boom, everything changes. And uh yeah, I just feel like I was already flipped upside down, and then I just started doing like flips. And I, I, 
I had a little bit of a mild depression going on because of it, but I couldn't pinpoint it. I, I had some time, it was on my Sabbath and I was, I was hiking in the woods and I was praying. I was like, why do I feel just so funky inside? Like I'm going to funk and I can't, I, I feel like I'm underwater, I'm flipping and what, I don't even know what to do or how to pull myself out of it. And I, I just made this connection that it's because, because I am a planner and I, I, I'm future oriented. I dream about the future. I plan and I plan and nothing, nothing's planable right now. And I'm just day to day. And so I took some time in my journal. I decided to just list what can I, what can I control right now, which is very little. It's mostly just me. And what can I plan? And it's very little. It's usually just that day or that week, but I scheduled it. I just was like, I'm going to schedule the crap out of anything yeah. I can. And I'm going to plan whatever I can. And I, it, it's amazing how that helped, helped me and helped kind of lift me out of the funk that I was in. Just being able to have a little bit of control over right. my circumstances. <laughs> so with everything going on right now with the COVID-19 and the economy, and then college students, you know, the heat, when you're young, you, you think about your calling a lot. You think about your purpose a lot, what you're going to do in your future and you're excited about opportunities and what God has for you. How do you wrestle with balancing with what has happened with the pandemic, what's going on right now and these young people, how do they, how do you wrestle with the grief and the fear and trusting in God during this time? Yeah, that, I mean, I think that's really tough. I, I feel like you almost have to just give yourself permission to feel it all and to let it happen. I mean, to just go through, go through it. And I, I think there's a, a good amount of surrender in that. And where, you know, you give yourself permission to grieve over the season that you just went through and yeah. how stressful it was, how hard it was, and allow yourself to feel all of that. But you also give yourself permission to dream and, and to, to plan and to seek God for whatever it is that he's, he's asking you to do. But I do think it's a, it's a process that we, you know, you go through. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've one more question for you on this uh, okay. conversation about purpose. A lot of people want to find their passions. I mean, that's like a kind of a newer invention, you know, back in the like forties and fifties, sixties, people worked to work and provide for their families. And they still work to provide for their families. But now there's a different motivation of working. It's to satisfy this purpose that we feel like we have. Yeah. So when people want to find their passions, but they have bills to pay, they have debt, student loans, they have to support themselves, support their families. How do you consider going after your passions is a good idea when your dream job isn't standing right in front of you and you still have the practical of life to work out? Yeah, I think. I think uh, that's that's a real challenge. I have felt that a lot, but I think keeping in the forefront of your mind whatever that dream is that you feel like I was made to do this, but yeah, it might not be practical right now, or it might not pay the bills right now. But I was made to do this, and not letting go of that, and keeping it there as your hope and what's motivating you to do the mundane things that pay your bills. I'm going to quote one more, yeah, <laughs> another yeah, book. Go uh, Victor Frankl, uh, he Holocaust survivor, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And 
in it, he says that man can endure almost anything as long as he's able to find some sort of meaning in it. So like, no matter how bad your situation is or how, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, forgive me for comparing the, what he went through to, <laughs> to right. pointless jobs that we work, but, yeah. but I felt like I, I could, you know, could apply that to any, you know, any job I even worked just right out of high school where it's like, man, I hate this. This is not <laughs> what yeah. I'm made to do, but this is helping me provide so that I can do what I was made to do. And you can find meaning in it, you will get through it and you'll overcome it. And, and even the things that you do that you don't enjoy doing uh, will, um, that will matter to you in a different way because it's not just to pay your bills. It's so that you can do what you were meant to do in the future. So I, I think keeping that goal or that dream or calling really uh, in the forefront of your mind as what you are working towards, uh, then you know, everything else matters. Uh, it's like training for anything, really. Like tra- training for a marathon and you're, you're, you're focused on, man, I'm going to accomplish this huge, incredible, difficult thing. But in order to do that, I've got to, you know, I've got to put in all these painful workouts that are not fun and I got to stretch and I got to eat right and all, the, all these little things that, you know, if you were doing that without knowing that it was to run a marathon, it would just be like torture why am I doing this? Yeah. But when you know that it's it's helping you, um, leading you to doing what you're dreaming of doing, then all of it has meaning, all of it matters, and you even find joy in it.